Welcome to the Olive Podcast. I'm Janine, Olive's Deputy Editor and Podcast Host, and each episode I'll be catching up with chefs, cookery writers and characters from the food scene in Britain and beyond. Join us each week to expand your food knowledge as our guests share 10 things we need to know about the specialist subject. And do listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where they also reveal their top cooking cheats, hacks and shortcuts. I'm with Alex Crossley, Olive's digital editor. And for this episode, she's going to take us on a whistle-stop tour of France's best foodie hotspots with loads of recommendations for places to visit. I know you've been gathering lots of recs from team members, Alex, but you've also got quite a strong connection to the country yourself. Yeah, I do, actually. I studied French and Spanish at uni and I had a year in France in Nantes, which I'll talk about later as part of my studies. And then I actually went back um, after I graduated in 2012 and my friend Gala and I did a, a food tour of France. So we literally started and ended in London and drove my friend Gala drove us around the whole of France wow. we pretty much did like the circumference and then went in a few times so um it's been really nice to look <laughs> back on that trip and remember my uh 2012 self well, I went hopefully to my age. you've inspired yourself to go back and check <laughs> yes, it all out again definitely <laughs> okay so let's start in the capital Paris obviously it's a huge foodie destination in itself but you've pulled out a few little highlights for us haven't you I actually haven't visited Paris in a long time um so I asked our colleague Amanda who's uh, married to a Frenchman and she has French citizenship I think yeah because she just voted and she was telling me about this particular street in the second arrondissement called Rue Montorgueil it's spelt m-o-n-t-o-r-g-u-e-i-l and this is a pedestrianized street brimming with bakeries and cheese shops and some very iconic restaurants and like green grocers with veg on display. Like you get the idea, very yeah. quintessential French pedestrianized street. And the history behind the street is it used to be the main entrance way for market vendors to access the famous food hall marketplace Les Halles, oh. which has now um, closed for market producers. Yeah. Um, and apparently Amanda was saying how this is like the main street that everybody wants to be on, all the food shops want to be on, and all of the surrounding streets are also um, almost like little test runs oh, really? to be to on, get the main on the main street. One, yeah. um, so I think the whole area in general is really worth a visit. And a few shops and restaurants I've pulled out are, well, one of them sounds amazing. So it's called J Détu which is a 65-year-old institution whose name is a play on the phrase j'ai de tout, which means I have everything. <laughs> uh, and it sounds like it really does have everything for a baker, yeah. particularly. So they have like cooking chocolate, Sicilian pistachios, multiple types of honey, very niche types of sugar, basically everything you need to create uh, French patisserie and bakes, what? which um, the city is so well known for. And there's also... Au Boeuf de Cantal, which is a traditional butcher that's almost a century old. Wow. And La Fermette Cheese Shop. Yeah. So uh, those are both very worth a visit for discovering lots of French cheeses as well. And the, the cafes and restaurants are also steeped in history because you have Patisserie Stoho. I'm not even going to try and pronounce this. So it's S-T-O-H-R-E-R 
which is the oldest pastry shop in Paris, apparently. Uh, and this is where the rum baba was created. Uh, and now they serve three varieties of the rum baba alongside other stunning patisserie. I've seen photos of the shop window and it looks amazing. And then in terms of like restaurants, so Lescago Montaugay, um, Lescago is um, snail mm-hmm. in French, which <laughs> lots of people probably know. And this is where Picasso used to go to have his snails. Nice. Uh, and they're prepared just very simply with garlic and parsley butter. And also Balzac's favorite Rocher de Cancale for Cancale oysters from the Bay of Mont-Saint-Michel. So those are just a few places on that street. But as I say, there are plenty more and it's always evolving. And next, on to another capital, the so-called capital of French cuisine, Lyon. Yes, so very cliche, but uh, they say that if Paris is the heart of France, then Lyon is the stomach. So a nice little segue there. (laughs) So Lyon is France's capital of French cuisine and known for its gastronomy around the world because there's actually 84 Michelin restaurants in Lyon, which is incredible. It's incredible. And 15 of those have Michelin stars. Uh, Just to pull out Paul Bocuse, um, because he really defines Lyonnaise cuisine. So he won his first three Michelin star accolade in 1965 and he actually held that until he died in 2018. It's insane. I mean, it's how long is that? Uh, he must have been, wor- been working up until like is the last... 35, 45. He must have been working up until... Nearly 60 yeah. years, wow, yeah. crazy. And it actually, I think it was 2020, it went down to two stars, which is a shame, but mm. um, still pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive, um, yeah. And there were also four Bakus brasseries in the city known for a more casual dining mm. experience. Paul Bakus started his career with... Mer Prasier, who is one of the famous Mer Lyonnais. Okay. Um, have you ever heard about? I've not heard no. of them. So these women, I just love the story. I think it's so great. So these women, many are from the countryside uh, around the city, were originally cooks for the bourgeois families. And they ended up setting up their own restaurants and food businesses um, because it was a very industrial city back in the day. And they wanted to make their mark and say, you know, we're we're not just cooks for the families. We can have our own businesses. And I just think it's a really great example of women um, taking over the city. Well, also, you know, in in an industry that's very male dominated Absolutely. especially in France that's an incredible achievement yeah. in so actually the the founding fathers yeah. of uh, Lyonnaise cuisine are actually mothers great one of them uh, there's a there's a bouchon uh, which I'll talk about in a bit but she's called Brigitte Josserand and she owns the very casual Café du Jorat that serves traditional Lyonnaise dishes mm. And I was just learning about this um, when I was researching for this. The Bouchon Lyonnaise are very much a part of the city's culinary culture. They're like quite casual restaurants where you can try the famous Lyonnaise dishes with like carafes of local wine, a very friendly service, usually run by like husband and wife or like family run um, teams. And the first bouchon was set up in the Quarrousse district to cater to silk factory workers oh, and wow. the industrial um So quite casual and, and presumably decent value as well. Yeah, so they have they have the prefix menus yeah. and the, the plat du jour on, yeah. on most like in most French uh, bistros and 
brasseries, but these kind of take it to the next level. So they're very, very hearty lunches, like made from the previous day's leftovers. Okay. That's how they kind of came about. So for local produce, you can also go to Les Alpes Paul Bacuse, which is a market named after the legend himself. Yeah, and he seems to, does he own the town? I mean, it well, sounds like, it's <laughs> sounds pretty, like the Rick yeah, Stein of Leon. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> he He's very much a part of everything. So yeah. his daughter actually married... Uh, Bernachon, which is um, he's a chocolatier, chocolatier. Oh, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Um, in Lyon, and so that's his son-in-law. So well, he's so infiltrated have, yeah. the whole <laughs> city. Um, but yeah, you can get some really lovely um, items from the market. So there's the really creamy San Marcelan cheese, which is delicious, and then there's the famous Rosette de Lyon sausages. They're made from the pork leg cured in the surrounding hills of Lyon with black pepper. And also, this is a really great place to go to uh, for to see like locals, including chefs, enjoying like a glass of wine or a carafe. At 11 a.m. on a weekday morning with some oysters. Uh, I love that about about France and Spain as well. Like in midweek, you go to a market before midday and mm. everyone's just drinking wine. It's lovely. Sounds like a great breakfast. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of oysters, I think we're going to head to the coast next. Yes, we are. Less than an hour's drive from Bordeaux is Arcachon which is an old seaside resort on the Côte d'Argent, which uh, means Silver Coast. Arcachon Bay is where one of my favourite films, Les Petits Mouchoirs or Little White Lies is set. And I highly recommend watching that. I've never seen that. I would like to see it. (laughs) It's so fab. It's very, um, it's just got such a great sense of place. Okay. And the characters are epic. I think it translates really well to English as well. Okay, cool. Um, So yeah, highly recommend that. And it's got a very atmospheric old seaside town with very grand villas. Yeah, I really recommend just to mooch around there. My friend used to, Gala, who I went on this tour with, used to teach there, which is a very quintessential place to, to do a year <laughs> abroad. And you can visit the covered market and have the the famous oysters. So oysters are definitely the main pull of right. the area. There are over 300 oyster farms wow. uh, around the bay, producing up to 10,000 tonnes of oysters every year. The Arcachon Basin is dotted with so many little oyster fishing villages. So mm. you've got Quijon, Mestras, Le Canon, Leb, and they all have these little oyster, wooden oyster shacks and that serve like local wine as well. So it's just such a nice Sounds casual amazing, experience. Yeah. You can just like meet up with friends or chat to locals over a glass of wine and an oyster or two. <laughs> <laughs> and this ba- basin leads out to the Cap Ferret um, headland, which is covered in beautiful beaches and pine Cap trees. Cap Ferret's quite posh, isn't it? Yeah, Does that's it's... a lot more yeah. posh. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and there's a lot of like waterside restaurants, a, b- a bit more, yeah, at market. Yeah. You've got Chez Boulin and Chez Hortense, uh, nice examples of those, apparently. Mm. And this area is also home to the tallest sand dune in Europe, Dune du Pilate, which you can cycle to from Arcachon Town or like it's nice for a little stroll. And Amanda, again, she she gets around France as well. <laughs> she recommends La Corniche restaurant next to the dune for really nice views and lovely. seafood. So yeah, really, really lovely place. Like I, I, I visited a couple of times and it's just very atmospheric. That's so, a great one. Yeah. Um, and next we have another famous coastal town, Marseille. 
Yes. So very different experience, a lot like grittier. And Marseille has a bit of a bad reputation, which has definitely improved over the years. Mm. But um, so I went on a press trip back in 2019 and my parents actually just went uh, a couple of weeks ago okay. and they looked at my guide online. So there's a guide on olivemagazine.com to Marseille and they said that all of the restaurants that they They're visited still are still there. Fantastic. So I'm really pleased that they've that survived good, yeah. COVID because you really worry about um, all of the restaurants yeah. in these very... I know Marseille is a bit more of um, an industrial town. Yeah, because it's a port, isn't it? And it's an industrial exactly, town. Yeah. So obviously it's it's big. So you're not going to get that quaint seaside vibe. Yes. But so, still yeah, lots to see there. It's a lot more... Uh, it's just very multicultural and graffiti covered. The graffiti is incredible. Um, but it's a really excellent base for very eclectic dining experiences. And obviously seafood is one of them mm. because of the viewport. Uh, so the old port and you'll find like super yachts alongside little fishing boats <laughs> and there's a daily morning fish market which is really interesting to go and see but it closes quite early so you have to be You've an early be riser which I'm not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's why all the chefs are down drinking wine yeah, at yeah exactly they've been up for five hours <laughs> <laughs> but this like amazing seafood is served in the city's very famous Bouillabaisse fish stew which is a very hearty seafood filled stew with definitely with the prices to match so it's tricky to find one for less than 50 euros a head. Really? Yeah. That's it's, insane. I know, I know. Considering that you're a port and you're, you're a fishing port and you, yeah. you're landing all the fish there anyway, you think it would be... Yeah, I just can't <laughs> get my head around it. Yeah. When I went, I... Because um, certain things, obviously, we get um, we get invited to places, but I was trying to find a, a Bouilla Bez to go and eat myself. And I was like, I can't, I can't afford that, like, to myself. <laughs> Um, so actually a cheaper seafood option, which I loved, was a very lively joint, La Boite à Sardine, mm. for dishes including like calamari with southern French espelette pepper. Nice. Um, so that's maybe a, a, a cheaper option yeah. <laughs> for people. But I do recommend the Boulevers as well. Obviously. I've yeah. tried that in other places and it's, it's really, really delicious. Also, one of my favourite experiences in Marseille was uh, joining locals at Café de l'Abeille uh, for sunset, perched above the viewport. Nice. has really lovely views. And it's a really nice spot for the uh, Provençal apéro with a selection of pastis uh, to pair with the panisse chickpea fritters. Oh, there's so much to talk about with Marseille. Uh, as I said, it's such an eclectic place. It's worth mentioning the Noailles district, so that's spelt N-O-A-I-L-L-E-S. And it's just basically full of like cobbled alleyways just back from the port. And it's very atmospheric, full of market stores and shops that spill out onto the pavement alongside some North African cafes and restaurants. And a spot there, which sadly, one place that had closed um, was there, which I really loved. But you can also go to the Saladin Epice du Monde, which is still open. And that stocks almost every spice imaginable. Wow. It's incredible, including I counted 46 varieties of salt mm. and over 50 varieties of pepper when I went. Amazing. And I imagine that's the same. And it's just incredible. And there's lots of Provencal herb mix, mixes and lavender honey, etc. So nice so. stuff to bring home there as well. Great. <laughs> And I think we're going to stay in Provence for the next one, are we? 
Yes, if you head further into the Provencal countryside, there are so many beautiful little villages. So when I went um, a few years ago, I based myself in Gourde and stayed at the very elegant La Bastide de Gourde. So this is my most, probably my most uh, luxury recommendation of this podcast. It's a five-star hotel built into the ancient ramparts on the side of the wow. gorge. So it's so super dramatic. Um, and you can book a table under the awning of the Orangery, which serves an amazing Sunday brunch, which is like a buffet, but it's a, a posh buffet. Um, and I had the most amazing rum bar bar there. So they have a complete dessert room. Wow. Um, that terrace has got amazing views mm. of the Luberon Valley's vineyards. Um, and I, yeah, I really recommend a visit to La Citadel. We've got some friends who live uh, live near, near there and they always go there for their wine. It's a very smart boutique vineyard that offers like tastings of the Viognier, which are very floral. And then you've got your crunchy, fruity Cabernet Sauvignon. And of course, the iconic oh, pale rosé Provencal rosé wow that sounds incredible and next we're going to visit um one of France's most beautiful cities I've never been there but I was looking at pictures of it this morning oh, and it's so stunning it's, Toulouse it's so beautiful so I visited this this I visited Toulouse on my uh, on my food tour and it's just like being in a fairy tale yeah. it's just stunning and uh, so it's actually so it's nicknamed La Ville Rose which means the pink city due mm. to its um, like red brick buildings, but it's very pale red brick. So, it's yeah, it's really stunning. And it's the capital of uh, France's southern Occitanie region. Um, and the most iconic dish served here is the cassoulet. So the dish was actually born in nearby Castelnaudry, but, um, and it comes in like many varieties, but on all of them, very, very rich. But the Toulouse take is the heaviest and it includes duck confit, fresh lard and the very famous Toulouse sausage, mm. which is and then all of that is slow cooked with haricot, haricot beans and vegetables. Some delicacies you can try from the market are magret de canard, saucisse sèche and mm. the small little medallions of very creamy rocamador goat's cheese, which me is so hungry, really Alex. delicious. I know <laughs> it's just before lunchtime, isn't it? We're recording this. And then, yeah, on Toulouse, our editor-in-chief, Christine, visited recently and she recommended a couple of places. So oh, if you're cool. actually going, yeah. uh, there's Cartouche, which is a chef and wife-run bistro that's, uh, she said it was like a real hangout for Toulouse residents. That everyone seemed to know the owners, which is lovely. I love nice, that about yeah, France. I love that. It's just very, yeah. it's like the, the, the antidote to the pub. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And also Le Bibon on the main square is a great spot for people watching a late night drinks, apparently, uh, with, uh, yeah, city, nice. city views. Yeah, it's interesting because we, we're doing a little run of um, French-themed podcasts and uh, one of them, Felicity Cloak's talking about iconic French dishes and we do a kind of deep dive into Cassoulet. Oh, nice. Talking about the, the arguments that rage about the Cassoulet and what should go in it and what shouldn't go yeah. in it. And, it's really interesting, but you know, it's exactly as you described, you know, very, very meat heavy. She actually ate, I think she ate four over two days or something. I know. <gasps> How? I, well, I don't know. She's That's a, impossible. She's a pro. She's a pro. Wow. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, Toulouse sounds great. And I think next we're going to head north to Lille. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about, I just thought Lille is quite a different French town yeah. uh, city to talk about because... Um, obviously, France is a big country, and 
but um, it's a northern French city, and it's the place to like witness the very Flemish charm, like of, yeah. of the city, because it's on the uh, border with Belgium, um, and it's just full of cobbled streets and like red brick houses, and it has a very distinct local dialect, apparently, which is. Um, they're very proud of. Okay. And it's quite d- difficult to understand. <laughs> <laughs> and you can try loads of different local beers and the very pungent Mahuay cheese. And then there's obviously Carbonade Flamande, which mm. is a very hearty beef and ale stew. And then very iconically, the mussels. There's a very seafood-themed th- sea yeah. ring to this podcast, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> um, again, Amanda tells me that each year the Lille Praderie Braderie, yep. just going to say in a non-French accent, is a flea market that's held at the beginning, the first weekend of every September. And um, during the time, lots of vintage and antique stores like descend on the streets and they're all pedestrianised oh, for the nice. weekend, which uh, brings a, a new lease of life to the to the city. And there's also, it, just, it sounds so great, there's a citywide attempt to consume the most more fruit possible. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so restaurateurs um, oh. compete to see who can build the highest mussel shell pile. So once you've done with your mussel you shell, you yeah, throw it on the pile and the restaurant gets So apparently gets it's, a bit, it's a bit cheaper to have like more fruit in a restaurant on that weekend. Yeah. And then as the weekend goes on, the mussel piles just grow like, <laughs> Higher and higher. <laughs> so I can imagine it probably smells a bit fishy, but um, it just sounds so much fun. Like, I feel sorry for the guys having to clean all that up. Oh, God, yeah. I know. Yeah, some other dishes to, to try while you're there are Le Welsh, <laughs> which is um, <laughs> the Lillois take on the Welsh rarebit. Yeah, I was recommended Bloempot, which is spelt B-L-O-E-M-P-O-T, and that's a Flemish canteen that serves twists on the traditional dishes with, like, local beers um, and then also, apparently, there's an area called Wazem, which is an old industrial neighbourhood that um, is called, adopted as the land of 100 nationalities because migrants settled here from the textile factory days, so like Portuguese and Eastern Europeans and um, North Africans. And ever since, migrants have been adding to this area, making it a really, really interesting place to visit. <laughs> and the next place, and this next place is particularly special to you, Alex, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so Nantes is where I spent a year as part of my studies. A lot of people say it's like Paris for like more arty people who can't afford to live in Paris. Okay. And because it's got it's got, it's got lots of universities um, and a business school, so it's very very arty and full of like young creatives. And it's on the Loire Villa, at no. the Villa River, the River Loire River. Um, so it used to be a very industrial port, which is why maybe it gets a bit of a bad rep. But mm. people haven't seen people who haven't been to Nantes think of it as like maybe not the best place to visit. But everyone who's been mm. loves it. Loves it. Yeah. It's one of those places that really captures people. Um, and yeah, it's just full of um, young people, and also the legacy of Jules Verne, uh, the 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 author, and they've turned it into this really eclectic place. So there's, you have to go to witness it. But there's an iconic life size mechanical elephant, okay, that you could <laughs> that like walks around the port. Oh yeah, I think I've seen that. So and Jules Verne is the guy it. he wrote Around the World in Eighty Days. Yeah, he? yeah, yeah, um, and. I went to this theme park. It's called uh, Machine de Lille. 
And that's like a Jules Verne inspired theme park. And wow. It's got all these wacky, mechanical, fantastical yeah. creatures. It's it's just, it's really, really, really interesting. And also you've got the former Lou factory that's um, been turned into a contemporary art and music space. So just as context, Lou is one of the companies that um, makes Nantes famous Petit Burr biscuits. Okay. Um, and they're like super buttery and crunchy with um, 52 like frilly little ears around the edge. And they are supposed to represent each week of the year because they want people are supposed to eat them like every day of the year because <laughs> they're just they're just so delicious. And they've been made in the city since 1846. So they're wow. very much part of the city's identity with, as I say, the former factory is turned into an art space, which we used to go to quite a lot for gigs and um, exhibitions. So it's renamed as Le Lieu Unique. Uh, which is translated as the unique place to make the most of the logo and the old tower, which I just thought was such a nice way of preserving the history of the city. Um, And then what I remember most about my time in Nantes is um, obviously the wine and cheese, but the crepe breton. Mm. So there are tons of creperies everywhere. And the savoury ones are called galette, and they're made with buckwheat. So they're actually naturally gluten-free. And one of my friends there was a celiac. So I remember she was asking for um, celiac options. And they were like, everything. And she's like, hooray, finally. Because <laughs> obviously she can't have the baguette and the pan au chocolat, which are incredible as well. Wow. I actually don't talk about pan au chocolat in this podcast, which is actually awful because I had a pan au chocolat every single day. For a year. <laughs> well, you've just talked about it. They're now. so delicious. Yeah, <laughs> brought in. Good old pan au chocolat. Yeah, so they are naturally gluten free and um, I just love the really crisp edges and mm. the really oozing fillings. They're just so, so delicious. And also, we used to always go to all these cozy cafes. It's full of, full of them, really quirky ones. But one we used to always go to on a Sunday because if you're traveling to France, just note that. Literally nothing's open on a Sunday. Nothing? No. It's <laughs> The supermarkets close at about midday. Okay. Um, and then so many of the restaurants are closed. And this a place we used to go called Tableau Gourmand. So we had uh, hot chocolate bowls, uh, like in big bowls, served with like whole French baguettes mm. in a basket. And then the pâte à tartiner, which is such a lovely little ritual. So you get a selection of spreads, including like hazelnut, caramel, Bersale, salted caramel, and of course, speculoos, which I think that I brought it to the UK, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> um, but that's such a lovely thing to do when you're, when you're in France. And also, the Muscadet wine is, or Muscadet, or Muscadet, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, is super fresh and light and citrusy and produced in the vineyards around Nantes. It's really nice to sip on before dinner with oysters from the coast. And it's also used in sources for um, dishes such as like freshwater Xander fish, mm. which is popular in Nantes. And also the Le Canard Nantes, which is uh, the Nantes duck dish. Yeah. There's a particular type of duck from the Nantes region called Chalon. And it's often cooked in the Muscadet wine and apple sauce for a very regional dish. Mm. Um, yeah, I also just to recommend a particular place that I loved, which was a neighborhood bistro called Tatine et Bouchon, and it's still going very strong. And you can have um, dishes such as as the Le Canard Nantes and the 
moist almond based gato nantes cake which is laced with rum often gorgeous delicious next almost finished but just a quick bit of ski action are you are you a skier alex <laughs> i'm not actually i've been a couple of times when i was younger but I can't really be bothered with it. <laughs> you like the Afri ski? <laughs> I like the Afri ski. So yeah, I thought we can't talk about France without mentioning the skiing culture. So I've actually stolen this from um, an article online that we have about La Tanya. The Alps, obviously, is very famous, namely the Three Valleys in the Savoie region. Mm. And between like the Glitzia, Meribel and Courcheval towns, there's a great little resort called La Tanya that uh, one of our team visited a few years ago. So after like a day or during a day on the slopes, <laughs> you can try the typical French après ski food, which includes vin chaud, which isn't a food, but very important, uh, tartiflette and the Savoyard fondue speciality, which is made from Comte, Beaufort and Tom de Savoie cheeses. Mm. Um, there's also a really iconic dish um, called Dio au vin blanc, uh, which is the plat du jour in many menus. So it's like these Dio, um, very meaty sausages, very compact sausages braised in white wine. And you can have this with the local fuel, which is called Genepi. And that's a pale gold herbal aperitif made using the very aromatic alpine plants that give the Genepi its name. And th that's commonly known as wormwood. So, yeah. Amazing. Okay. I love all of that ski food as well. Mm. And also dreaming, we're in the middle of a heat wave, dreaming of just being <laughs> sitting in some snow somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great. It's not a bad show. And we're going to finish on um, another personal favourite of yours at, at a place I've never heard of, I, I admit, but um, something, a place that you really love. Tell us about that. Yeah, so it's quite, this is quite a random one. Amanda, when I was talking through where to include, she thought it was quite a random inclusion um, because she, well, she's never been, but it's in the Dordogne, and I visited on my French food tour back in yeah 2012, and we, yeah, without exaggerating, I've never seen so many like shops selling like gourmet things. Like it's just so so quintessential yeah. and beautiful, and like the very honey hue buildings and all these shops just brimming with everything you can imagine. Um, so there's lots of duck products because it's very famous for duck in the area as well as the local Salanois aperitif, which is made of walnuts. And there's lots of market stores selling fresh walnuts as well, which is a really nice touch. Um, there are loads of traditional Salades restaurants. Um, and I checked and the place we visited is still open, oh, which great. is so nice. It's called La Petite Borie, after the little stone huts in the surrounding countryside. And it's like a house. Well, it was like a house when I was there. And it's been serving locally sourced dishes since 1920. Oh, wow, that's incredible. Which is, is pretty, pretty impressive. And they serve the town's most famous dish, which is the crisp confit de canard, mm. the confit, which is one of my favorite dishes. And they serve it with the salades potatoes, which are super buttery and oily. Oh, they are incredible. And they're a locally, local speciality fried in duck or goose fat with par parsley and garlic. And then formed into these little like rusty like patties and fried until like crisp on the outside and super melty on the I, inside. I've oh. had those before and I can't believe that <laughs> it's traditional to serve the really rich duck confit with the potatoes roasted yeah. in, sorry, 
in duck fat or goose fat as well because it yeah. is super rich. But yeah, it's it's as you it's said, it's traditional, delicious, so delicious lunch. We, we got to get on board with it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Wow, so many amazing places there, Alex. Um, hopefully, you've inspired our listeners to go and have their own little French food odyssey. Hopefully, and if anyone wants to do further reading, we've got plenty of travel guides and inspo, as you said, on olivemagazine.com. Um, lots of French content on there. But thank you so much for sharing that with us today alex that was great thank you no problem thank you for listening to the olive podcast for recipes and more information head to olivemagazine.com do remember to listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where our guests reveal their best cooking cheats hacks and shortcuts and don't forget to subscribe at itunes acast spotify or wherever you get your podcasts